0: Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist radio show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks and now. Okay, welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist podcast and video, thank you so much for tuning in today. And, uh, you know, we do a lot of different topics on the Compassionate Capitalist podcast. We talk about, uh, you know, best practices for entrepreneurs to grow your business. We talk to angel investors about, um, you know, how to be a better angel investor, how to identify trends in the marketplace, We talk about the industry specific. And then sometimes we get the opportunity to talk really big picture and big ideas that if you will, if you take the time, and you might need to listen to this twice, and you need to go to my guest's website, but you you can shift your paradigm about the possibilities when you understand how the world is an integrated place, and there's and I do a lot of economic conversations, uh, and we talk about scarcity of resources or uh, uh, the recent, in, recent podcast was talking about um, how you can, the urban renaissance and how by uplifting communities that have been decaying, you can grow your overall, the overall GDP of, of a country because by helping a whole other organ, a group, you know, create uh, uh, incomes and property values that become another tax structure, you don't have to do all the other funny around, you just create more sources where people pay in regular taxes, right? As a way, so those were all kind of like the people resource thing. But when it comes to technology, when it comes to those kind of resources, we find all too often, particularly in a capitalist society, that is is not truly a free market. People argue for free markets, but we have this sort of sometimes this sense of um, scarcity and so we've got to hold on to what it is we have because if we lose that then you know we lose our ability to prosper and then there's a different kind of philosophy that says no if we use our technology to create ample amount of resources so that there is no scarcity then what can you do when everybody can rise to be the, to obtain their full potential, and they're not having to fight for the scarcity of resources. And so, my guest today, Cameron McPherson, he can wave and say hi as I get ready to introduce him for those that are watching now. Fascinating what he has developed, which we call the next giant leap. And it's there's way too much to cover in one podcast. On this and I I have a feeling I'm going to be bringing him back on as different things develop in our society because You know, this is a a manifesto if you will of of what what is the potential? of the the human condition if we come together in what he is describing as collective capitalism We'll get into that in a minute and, and it's through the next giant leap. I'm gonna tell you right off the bat and then we're gonna come back, I'll tell you it again. It's just really simple, nextgiantleap.org, okay? Let me tell you about Cameron. So Cameron is a technologist, a futurist. He was passionate about social advancement. He's an enterprise system analyst and software developer by trade, that's his day job. But he leverages his academic background and political science to develop the new systems that blend technology and philosophy to address the challenges from a very unique angle. And that's the the Next Giant Leap. His primary project is what we're talking about, the Next Giant Leap, which promotes an open source blueprint for systems that can solve resource scarcity and climate change. The Next Giant Leap proposes solutions to, to these issues and, and br- this whole blueprint for the system, the universal energy that can accomplish this task by deploying the best energy technology, technologies we have available in the framework, designed to work cooperatively from the ground up. And that's just a piece of it because it goes all into all different other aspects of that that we're going to uh, talk about now. But, I, but without further ado, I want to say bring Cameron on and say hello to everybody. Thank you so much for being on my show today.
1: Thank you, Karen, for having me. It's great to be here.
0: So, okay, system analyst, software developer by trade. This is big picture stuff. How do you get the idea to, to I mean, because it's well-researched. How you, do you get the idea to do this? What was your motivation? Because this is clearly something that you weren't paid to do. It is a, a point of passion for you. So tell our listeners about what led you into this passionate endeavor to promote this manifesto for the next giant leap.
1: You know, um, and it's, it's, it's funny the, the way you phrased it because you really hit the nail on the head with like, pretty much exactly how it works. Um, and what kind of motivated me to, to do it was a, a mixture of, um, you know, some humanitarian focuses in so far that a lot of the, the problems in our world are resource driven. Um, and a lot of the causes for conflict and war and a lot of uh, humanitarian maladies are resource driven. And that, you know, re, uh, that kind of reality that we contend with, you know, as nations, as people, as a species, uh, you know, all on this planet um, is kind of juxtaposed with the fact that, you know, we don't, we don't really have to be doing that. Um, because technology kind of really gives us a way out you know when we think about the amenities we have in uh, in our society. We have smartphones, we have smart TVs, we have smart appliances. We don't really have a smart energy grid. We don't really have a smart resource production. Everything is kind of just contrived and thrown together um, rather arbitrarily for how it's been since you know the start of the 20th century. All of our models aren't really geared to, Embrace a lot of the advances that we've been experiencing um, over the past, you know, even 30 to 40 years. Most of our power infrastructure is pretty old. It's pretty antiquated. Um, It uses a a degree of um, of technology that needs replacement. Um, It uses a hodgepodge of fuels and power sources that you know, all have to be extracted from the ground. And it's kind of put rather randomly. Um, and a lot of what this project is, is, is designed to do is to bring our energy and resource production to the 21st century. And to integrate a lot of the advancements that we've made within information technology and material science and um, communication and ability of precision of manufacturing to build a you know kind of provide blueprints in which how we can take the best technology we have today to kind of solve these long vexing problems that have you know plagued us for some time um, and use them to basically build a platform for um, a better uh, a better state of existence for you know for everyone in a collective sense
0: yeah so. So there's um, there's so much so much discussion going on right now about you know energy's always been sort of a topic of conversation and and even when it comes to you know access to clean water and we talk about oh we're going to have an infrastructure plan and we have to rebuild our infrastructure cuz it's so so old that there's something that um, that you said that I I guess I got it off your website and uh, so at a high level, there are four types of re- renewable energies, but, all that, but also to address water conservation and management in the process and addresses the infrastructure challenging the cities and municipalities that face our decaying infrastructure, contaminated water and power consumption in high density areas and those with the opposite challenge in a sprawling low density. So talk about how your blueprints will address to how to develop this circular economy that can fuel itself from, I mean, indoor farming, you know, as I said before, not everything we can cover on this, this particular show, but ocean cleanup, so much more, almost too big to be true, but you kind of have to start big with a vision, I guess, To shoot for the stars, land on the moon, but talk about how that integrated model can solve so many problems within a community.
1: Sure. Uh, It starts with the energy question. So the first challenge is how can we generate enough clean energy at a low enough cost that we can synthesize resources? And this comes from from, from two general approaches. The first is by leveraging renewables specifically within municipalities and public infrastructure. You know, there's a there's a debate about the effectiveness of, of solar panels for in wind turbines, for instance, but much of this debate hinges on, you know, the kind of the, the cost and the materials needed to make them because when you, you know, materials, the solar panels and wind turbines require a comparatively high volume of material to make, and they aren't necessarily carbon neutral just to manufacture them because they take a lot of energy to make that happen. Um, and, you know, to solve that, and also furthermore, you need a lot of land to deploy them on, and land gets expensive, the closer that you know the area of deployment is to like a city you know buying you know five hundred acres outside of New York City is you know hyperbolically expensive, you know much much less so than it is in say like you know um, the, the center of Nevada, but you know delivering energy from Nevada to say l a or New York City is you know prohibitively difficult and prohibitively expensive, so the first strategy is to leverage municipal infrastructure. So that could be uh, uh, canopies over roads, it could mean uh, government buildings, it could mean bridges, it could mean um, any sort of, of, of land that is owned by a municipality that doesn't need to be purchased. It's close to a city. Um, and deploying renewables in that area specifically using public funds. Because in that, in, through, through that vector of deployment, what, what you have is it's a, it, you have cascading cost, you know, cost reductions that you don't need to buy land. You don't need to worry about um, a lot of the deployment logistics that you have to do if renewables are deployed over like myriad land terrain mass. You can kind of standardize uh, renewables to fit over infrastructure in a way that can be plugged not only directly into a grid, but also kind of uh, provide a redundant grid um, for that, for that municipality. The second approach is using clean nuclear. Um, and nuclear power kind of gets a bad rap in our society and through the world, through waste, and because you can make weapons from it. Long story short, most of these concerns hinge on reactor designs that were made in the 1950s, primarily because it was the first we invented. And second, also because the, the past approach to nuclear energy was used to make nuclear weapons as a byproduct. It's very difficult to make weapons-grade plutonium, for instance, without using um, uranium in light and heavy water reactors. So it's kind of been the way that we've done it, but new technologies come out that have allowed us to make reactors very small, um, small modular reactors that can be built in an assembly line, um, much in the same way we build an airplane or a vehicle, because that's- when you have a big you know, honking, hefty nuclear power plant that's to be built to order. If we look for instance at the Watts Bar plant in Georgia, that it's been $10 billion in counting. Um, it's been 10 years in counting because every last little piece of it has to be made to order, engineered to order, designed to order and built to order. And all of the expertise in permitting and architecture and, and regulatory uh, compliance and financing and underwriting and insurance, everything from A to Z on that when you have one plant has to effectively be started again from scratch for another plant, which has made, you know, deployments of these, you know, large baseload energy facilities extremely expensive. So by mixing clean nuclear that is kind of made on a, in an automated modular and standardized capacity in the same way that say a Toyota Tacoma is built on an assembly line, you can create an abundance of energy that critically provides a carbon neutral Uh, method to manufacture renewables. So you put renewables in cities and other municipal infrastructure where, again, you don't need to buy land. And you can have a more standardized means of deployment and it can be bought with public funds. So it can really, really dramatically reduce the cost of implementation. Paired with clean nuclear, you on one hand dramatically increase the volume of energy available uh, in a given instant while uh, facilitating a corresponding decrease um and the cost to manufacture that energy, and where that comes in is renewables kind of can help provide a lot of the uh, the, the, the immediate energy needs of, of of any given region. Um, with clean nuclear providing the second. But because nuclear is particularly hot temperature-wise, it has you know some important side benefits, which comes into uh. Uh, kind of a, a, a mindset called cogeneration or combined heat and power, which is becoming more you know more vogue in the energy industry, not just within the U.S. Uh, but also abroad. Where in the long and short of it is, you use the waste energy of one technology to power the functions of another. Right. So, say for example, that you have uh, a, a clean nuclear power plant um, fueled by the element thorium, which is not uranium. Um, well, not not directly at least, uh, which you know is very clean it's a liquid so it can't really melt down and it's very difficult to make weapons from it and what you can leverage that reactor for beyond just energy production is using its you know very high temperature heat exchangers to preheat seawater for desalination for instance okay. so rather than a very energy intensive process to you know turn salt water into fresh water we just use the waste heat and just Counterflow the the uh, the influx of salt water um, through the heat exchangers of the reactor, and it comes it's basically boiling by the time it gets to the desalination facility. So it's practically energy, energy neutral. And even further from that, you can also take that excess heat and um, extract hydrogen from that from that desalinated water kind of using that salt as a little bit of, a, of an electrolyte as a catalyst to you know, extract hydrogen from it. So in one facility beforehand, you just had one giant nuclear power plant. Now you have modular swappable nuclear reactors that also produce hydrogen fuel and fresh water as a byproduct, which solves kind of the tertiary problem. And this is really the core of how the framework of universal energy works. Because you can desalinate an effectively unlimited volume of seawater and when that seawater is desalinated, it turns, it flash turns to steam, and it's condensed. It's it's hot. It's at high temperature. You're able to basically pump an unlimited volume of seawater through above ground pipelines next to highways. Again, state owned. Don't need to buy land. Pre cleared of obstructions, and they're flat and they're straight. So. You know, highway medians and are are not really used for anything, so they're just kind of there. And in fact, they cost money because they have to be mowed and so on and so forth. But they go for thousands of miles, so you can put above ground pipelines, on on these this, you know the, this are our, our massive highway infrastructure, and you can put solar panels on top of these pipelines, and you can put small hydrodynamic turbines within them to create artificial hydroelectric electricity, for effectively any any an indefinite length. And when you have a certain volume of water, say something as large as five hundred billion gallons, you can use that excess you can use that, that, that excess energy that, those, that that pipeline array generates to keep that water at high temperature now water, if you 've ever heated up a, uh, a cauldron on your stovetop, say like a bunch of water soup, it stays hot for a really long time. Water has um, unique properties that allow it to re- retain heat very well. Um, and if you keep that volume of water hot you know say 500 billion gallons going back to that figure that can pre- present a, a- Stupendously large battery for all intents and purposes. Unlike a regular battery that requires say a chemical reaction to facilitate a charge. What such a large volume of hot water can do is it works as a thermoelectric battery and that can store the effective energy that you can use through thermoelectricity at night to basically invest all the energy generated by renewables. To this system, it's called the National Aqueduct, and it's a piece that ties all of them together. It's not really magic. It's a lot of renewables, a lot of clean nuclear that makes renewables clean, not just in manufacturing but also disposal, and it's tied together through a very large volume of cleanly of of cleanly desalinated fresh water. And that's yeah,
0: it. <laughs> so that's sort of the core in and of itself. And is that the the that really is what makes up the circular economy that fuels itself. Uh, well, that, obviously, all that stuff creates jobs and things like that. But when you, I guess when, you, when electricity is virtually free or something, then that frees up resources that people would spend other stuff on. Or how does that address, because I know you, I think you cover it, all of these aspects, but the rest of, of the economy side of things that integrate with that and solve the problems of hunger or of um, you know living wages, let's say, and those kind of things well sure um, it, but it's not that that necessarily provides
1: uh, collective capitalism in a circular economy it's what provides the platform to build those two things okay, so strictly speaking, um, the other two pieces that this kind of that, that, you know this platform of, of hydrogen fuel that's it, inexpensively uh, produced to effectively inde- indefinite scale, same with fresh water, same with electricity. It allows us to grow food indoors in vertical farms in cities um, to effectively any, any extent desired. You could uh, have thousands of such farms if, if, if you wanted. And what that allows you to do is, you know, you can grow, um, say hydrocarbon producing algae and other stuff for biofuels which can be used to make um, novel plastics and polymers along with such a a large volume of energy you can also make more advanced materials like high strength thermoplastics or um, carbon-based carbon-based substances like graphene or or boron nitride nanotubes and other very very high strength synthetic materials that are far stronger and far lighter than aluminum or steel and many of the things we make today, and can be made, you know, can be synthesized effectively indefinitely. So you also have food, and then you also have materials, and what that allows us to do with all of these pieces in play is we can mass manufacture things on a on a uh, on a very high level of precision that also allows us to think beyond kind of the the old economy of like take make use dispose and throw away to uh make use reuse remake and then recycle and so on and so forth so something you know let's even something simple as recycling today or you know waste management well that's that's you know, landfills, ocean trash, there's a pro- it's kind of, it becomes a problem. If you have a, a tremendous volume of energy, you can power something called plasma gasification. And what that does is it creates basically uh, an electric current to uh, incinerate waste at a super high temperature that reduces it to its base elemental composition. And also, kind of extracts any bio bi, uh, biological material thereafter, and something called syngas, which can also be used as a as a, as a low carbon fuel. So, when you have that much energy, you're able to solve huge problems that are now very vexing, like how how do we get you know all the steel to make you know to repair aging infrastructure? How do we, uh, you know, where do we find all the land to bury all this trash? How do we you know source all the fuel? To you know, create this you know to solve this problem. How do we get all the water to provide for um, agriculture? By providing that basis of energy and fuel and water, all those problems are solved, and they can be solved, you know, with with a rather modest investment on the scale of what we spend on uh, on a military budget for a few years. Um, on 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 that scale of investment, we can make these kind of critical resources, water, food, electricity, fuel, and building materials, uh, indefinitely abundant and effectively free. And that doesn't necessarily make anyone rich. That doesn't necessarily um, uh, provide this idea of collective capitalism in and of itself. But what it does do is it can drastically reduce the costs of living that a lot of people pay and the main cause of poverty. If everyone has food, water, shelter, and housing, no one is poor. You may not be wealthy, but you don't really need anything for your biological existence. You're able to, you know, live and thrive. You don't have to spend 30% of your income on food or resources or fuel. You have that. So everyone becomes 30% richer, even if, if wages stay as they are, immediately out of the gate. And there's also kind of coming back to this idea of collective capitalism, this idea that everyone now has more disposable income to not only invest in, you know, the society's economy, but also themselves and also their children and also ventures that they think are worthwhile. I mean, when we look at, you know, a lot of financial publications, you know, wealthy people always say, you know, invest, that's how you get rich. Well, if you are living paycheck to paycheck, you can't really do that. But if you had uh, if, if your cost of food and fuel were dramatically slashed, you would. Yeah. And you would not only have that ability to invest in things like securities, but you could also invest in a side business or a venture or a creative application that you think is worthwhile of your time. And that creates a force multiplier of the capabilities of everyone in society. And, you know, has these kind of cascading effects. When we think about something like crime, for instance, I can't really predict with certainty that crime would vanish. Um, if such a if, if such a system was in place, but when we think about how much of, of, of crime correlates with poverty, it, it's it's hard to imagine a circumstance where it wouldn't reduce, you know, drastically, because people aren't committing crimes out of need. You know, there's no more, uh, how do I feed my kids? There's no more. Oh, I lost my job. may I lose my housing. There's a whole lot more of a capital basis that we can use to invest in ourselves collectively, and yeah. that starts by providing that, you know, that abundance of inexpensive energy, which is then used to provide that abundance of inexpensive resources.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought it back to collective capitalism, because I think that that's a a key concept that people can wrap their heads around. It's really seeking to use the technology, the innovations that you've been talking about, that therefore provide this basic floor of resources at a low cost that allows the The municipalities, the governments or the the benefactors of that to focus on other things that they can and the families and within that community that, as you say, in effect, have a cost of living increase because they've um, now have taken some of their uh, baseline monthly expenditures and shifted it to nothing or to almost nothing. You know, so I think you said the it's the burden from the externals of scarcity and supercharged by the ample supplies of resources that everyone can use to build, discover, create, and achieve. And I just think that's the that collective. You know, so so talk about how this is because it's it's one of those things that is this something that a that a community has to do at you know replace everything and start all over. It only goes into the things that I talked about when we we're doing, you know, redevelopment of, a, of an area that has been economically decimated. How can people, academics, politicians, how can they take your this great new giant leap and and figure out how to put it into their current need and um, and start to build from there?
1: And I'm kind of I'm glad you asked that. Uh, you know, and when, you, when you mentioned earlier, when you were starting the show, you said it's kind of a manifesto. And I could see how it might come out that way at first, but realistically, it's software. And it's blueprints. It's software that provides blueprints. And because it's designed to solve resource scarcity by creating abundant resources, the software in and of itself is designed to be a resource for abundance. So it's designed in a way that when you read it and go through it, If you like an idea, take it, nothing's patented, you don't have to pay for it, it's open source, it's designed for a policymaker, or business leader, or a community to say, I like this, I'm going to take this idea and I'm going to make it mine, and you can. You don't have to ask my permission or anyone's permission to do it. You can go and say, you know what? Absolutely. I live on the coast A water desalination using the waste energy for any of the power plants we have. This is our five-year energy plan is to do that, then upgrade to, say, a small modular reactor. And let's talk to the Department of Energy and get talking about that. Maybe I don't have that reactor right now, but I can integrate some solar panels. Yeah, And I can then use kind of that that, that small approach to creating a a medium-sized vertical farm. None of these technologies are, are pie in the sky or... Um, you know, you know. while the model is forward thinking, the standard approach is just more of a strategic deployment of energy technologies. Instead of looking kind of, oh, we need a power plant, let's just build one. It's how can we leverage our power and our municipal resource um, uh, infrastructure to create a much more cohesive system. So anyone can take it and it can start small. And while it's big picture, it can start massive. And because it's kind of software, you can use it to work for you. And if you look at like how software works, I mean, look at an application like Adobe Photoshop, for instance. You can edit photos. You can touch up photos. You can make new images. You don't have to use it for one or another. It's a toolkit. And that toolkit allows you to create things with it. What the next giant leap in universal energy are is their toolkit. For a, anyone to be able to invest in their own society by using these strategies and these blueprints to adopt and to you know create for their local needs and I am I, I, I am extremely confident because these technologies work and uh, intelligent system design has proven its metal in every application that's ever been put in you know. You know jet jet engines aren't contrived they're engineered you know an airplane a car a cell phone a computer they're all engineered There's stop put behind it you know just taking that same model and putting it to energy shouldn't you know necessarily be a controversial thing the only thing that's incredible about it is the fact that we haven't done it and this project was designed to be you know the a, a very well researched very straightforward first stab at facilitating it and there's nobody, it's less of all me, that's saying that it can't be extended. If yeah. someone else would say, "I like this idea," what if we integrated this technology using these same principles? Brilliant, lovely. You know, let's have that conversation. Let's run the numbers, and like, let's let's iteratively, you know, provide upgraded versions of the blueprints, just like software. And that same exact Um, in that same exact method. And open source software runs uh, huge segments of our world. And, you know, it it works because it's kind of, you know, community updated. um, And, you know, people that are passionate about how it can make the world a better place, you know, put their time and effort and expertise on it. You know, this is just version 1.0, but any part of it can be used now um, and can be extended as technology adapts and evolves in the future. So you don't have to go you don't have to spend, you know, five hundred billion dollars to get started. You can spend, you know, five thousand dollars to get started, um, and, really? and you can work big. It can work big or small, and scale iteratively from there. Because this is something that um, I probably should have started off with earlier. The, 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 the driving mindset of Universal Energy are concepts of standardization and modularity, um, and this idea that most people could never build a light bulb, you know, if they had yeah. to, you know, but they don't need to, they just replace the old one and put a new one in. You want another light, put another light bulb. You know, a light bulb is a fairly complex piece of machinery, but yeah. you know, I mean, we, but we don't, we don't, we, we don't care about that. Oh, the, my computer hard drive, you know, is broken. And my headphones aren't, is broken. Well, <laughs> we may not know how to build that from scratch, but we don't need to, we just replace it. And by, you know, deploying energy technologies and using our manufacturing prowess um, to build technologies in such a way, it's, you know, you want a new solar panel, swap it out. You want to add a new one on, put one in. And, you know, down the line from solar panels to nuclear reactors to, um, uh, hydrogen production infrastructure to water desalination and delivery infrastructure to vertical farms to 3D printing and next generation metallic additive printing. Um, these all these systems can be built in a modular, standardized capacity to you know dramatically you know increase your capabilities to utilize them to build a better world.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, that would be the next giant leap.org. I want to encourage folks to go there. When you get there, you're going to see, um, you know, the main content is on the first page, but then when you go and you click under, I guess, universal energy, you can get to everything. Like you said, software, it's all laid out online. You can also request a printed copy. It's very large, but you've got a future worth living. Uh, The different chapters, uh, mindset, the renewable revolution, the thorium backbone that he talked about, this water and hydrogen that Cameron briefly spoke on. So there's, you know, it's all laid out there in greater detail. And I want to encourage uh, folks that are listening to this that um, you have influence within your local government you are um, a a member of the chamber, or or you have a leadership role in other companies, you're on the board of directors, or you're an entrepreneur that is trying to develop some sort of social capitalist product, uh, social innovation that's gonna solve one of the problems that you talk about, the hunger problem, or you might talk about all these countries that don't have reliable electricity at all you know, that you're trying to solve some of these problems, it's your own passion, go to next giant leap and, and take a look at the information that is there so that you can be aware and, uh, and then you can be aware of what the potential is because Cameron really has researched the, the, the latest and the greatest of technology, and if you are somebody that is working on something, maybe you're in an academic setting and you're working on innovations in something, reach out to Cameron and, you know, uh, talk to him about what you're working on because the, we are at the threshold with what he's developed at, as a, um, a catalyst of things to come. And we have a lot of problems when it comes to our environment that we need to solve hunger in our world. abject poverty in the, the richest nation. Uh, we have you know the uh, uh, water we are always dealing with with contaminated water, uh, lack of water. you go from drought to, to fire you know there 's just so much that we 're having to cope with in our society that this is worthy of, of a deep dive in and spread the word, okay? Spread the word about this. Send the link to your House of Representative, your Senate, uh, to your local city council, county commissioner. Send it to the president of the company that you know. Send it to wherever you are. Just share the word on this and let's get this out into the community so people can start contributing to it. And this idea of, of collective, because we are all in this together, collective capitalism, can be something that we come together to solve some of these really big problems. So, Cameron, as we wrap up here, what anything you want to to share and uh, and then your final thoughts? Um, I can't really
1: say. If I, I'm 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 very I'm very impressed, and uh, uh, it was a great conversation. And you've you've clearly gone through it, and you've cl- clearly understand you know exactly how it works, and you know it's kind of its implications to build a better world. Um, What I I will say, um, just mentioning the print copy, if you go to nextgiantleap.org.org and you click on print copy, the way that it's laid out in a book is kind of a, a logical format. Um, with a lot of charts and graphs, and um, it's heavily cited. But it's you know things I did to kind of make it really accessible is you know it's it's large font. It's not written in a way that's you know like a like a like an academic paper. Um, you don't need to have a technical background to read it and grasp any of these concepts. It's written for you know the the layman, the average person. It's very conversational in tone, and it's designed basically to educate um, everyone on the capabilities inherent to what these systems um, do, because, you know, my background is, is, is in software. I didn't, you know, I'm not a nuclear physicist. I had to learn this stuff and uh, to understand it in a way that it's actually really not that difficult. And it seems a little bit difficult at first because it's a big, complex system. The science behind it might be complex, but what it can do, just like a light bulb, you know, it provides that deliverable through this, you know, through this uh, through, through the engineering and the machining that makes it possible. So um, if you do decide to uh, to check out the website, you know, consider um, supporting us by buying a print copy. Um, and uh, the color is definitely the best way to go, even though there is one in black and white, because it does, with over 200 color images, it does get a little bit pricey to print. Um, and, you know, please get in contact with me if you have any feedback or um, or questions. You know, what I really would like to do is kind of turn this into, you know, and take the open source software movement to energy and resources and use it to, you know, really build um, a better state of affairs for all of us.
0: Very good. So thank you again. I'm so glad that we found each other and I was able to learn about what you're working on. And um, I really hope that we're going to revisit this. As you get progress, please keep me informed so I can, you know, we can have you back on in the future to share where somebody stepped up an organization or an entity or a community did and uh, i'm going to do the same i'm going to share it with my elected officials so that they are putting this in because as they come to the table and they have these conversations this is one more thing that can add some clarity and potential and uh potential solutions potential different way of approaching things and you know together we everyone achieves more right so I agree. Yeah. Thank you very much for being on the show and to everybody else uh, and to yourself, Cameron onwards and upwards. Yes.
1: Thank you, Karen. Look forward to talking soon.
0: Okay. Thank you for listening to the Compassionate Capitalist podcast radio, where we encourage individual investment in entrepreneurs to create generational wealth and best practices for small businesses to succeed. Help us spread the word about compassionate capitalism by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues. The Compassionate Capitalist Podcast is available on most podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. In production for over 10 years, there are over 180 episodes available for your listening and educational pleasure. With over 130,000 downloads, this podcast is rapidly becoming the top podcast for investors and entrepreneurs to get the information they need to create generational wealth through entrepreneurism. This podcast is brought to you by the business power tools, which offers an online collaborative environment for leadership teams to prepare business plans, marketing strategies, financial modeling needed to attract capital and scale a business. Also Lindio as a, Entrepreneurs Resource Portal, providing access to dozens of lenders offering short-term and long-term debt to help business owners manage their financial cash flow and growth capital needs. BizX, creating affordable advertising resources and other tools for entrepreneurs to succeed and create awareness and trust with their customer base. And Launch Funding Network, part of Cougarand Capital Holdings. It's a network of hundreds of angel investors, investor clubs and networks, venture capital firms, private equity funds, family offices, investment bankers, and lenders. Please visit KarenRance.co to learn more about the Launch Funding Network and our sponsors, and to sign up to get our Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Break and learn more about how we can help you succeed.